Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Krantz. On today's show, we will have Matt Altoff. He is the Chancellor for the Diocese of Sioux Falls. He'll be here to talk about pastoral planning. And I know that sounds boring. (laughs) Exactly what Phil just did. It sounds boring, but it is not. And this is something that really uh, affects all of us in the diocese. So very good conversation with Matt. Um, Really interesting. He has a such a good perspective on it. And he's been working with this for many years in the diocese. So I hope you will stick around and listen to that interview. First, we have Dr. Chris Bergwald in studio. Woohoo! <laughs> we need to get the... All right, thanks, Bill. <laughs> we need to get the uh, ignition soundboard up. Oh, because yes. Because pastor planning. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> now everyone's ready. There we go. There we go. Uh, by the way, Matt's not on Catholic Views that often. So no. Kudos no, for I think you this for... is actually my first time... Well, no, it's my second time getting yeah. him on, but the first time was with someone else. This is his first time solo. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you for dragging I don't think him he likes the studio, it, but... kicking and screaming. <laughs> He didn't even know what the studio looked like when he got in here. He's like, this is the first time I've been in here. Oh, my gosh. I know. Sad. Speaking of uh, harbingers of the end of the world. (laughs) That's a good title for Matt. (laughs) Uh, Do we know what this Sunday is, Renee Kranz? Uh, This Sunday, it is an ordinary time. It is indeed ordinary time. Is the thirty third? It is indeed the thirty third Sunday morning. Yeah. And I know that because now, if, like if you guys had the little earpieces in, like Bill, I know could just whisper to you. 33. <laughs> he wouldn't though. <laughs> but he wouldn't. He would because he likes to just let me squirm and so get coming, it wrong. <laughs> we're coming down to it. Two more weeks left in this current uh, liturgical year. Two more weeks left uh, in ordinary time before we begin Advent. Mm-hmm. So this is the, therefore, second to last Sunday in Time. Next Sunday, of course, we'll talk about it next week, but our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. Yes. And he, actually, man. Yes. And he actually, was. Chris Motes will be my guest for oh, that week, oh, and oh. we'll be talking about that. Ah, excellent. So we'll have both Chris's talking about it. Yes, ma'am. Separately. <laughs> Separately and together. Right. <laughs> so the the readings definitely the on this penultimate Sunday of the church year do look to um well it's this is the thing we're talking about actually the end but not so harbinger of the end of time right I'll talk being to you so the first reading for mass this Sunday is from chapter uh, 12 of uh, the book of the Old Testament book of the prophet Daniel and then the gospel is from mark 13 both of them so this is a really interesting thing just really quickly from Daniel in those days I Daniel heard this word of the Lord at that time, there shall arise Michael, the great prince, guardian of, guardian of your people. It shall be a time unsurpassed in distress since nations began until that time. At that time, your people shall escape everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some, some shall live forever. Others shall be an everlasting horror and disgrace. But the wise shall, shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament. And those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever. What do you think Daniel's talking about there? Uh, do you have any mm. guess? I'm going to guess uh, Jesus' resurrection. That's a great guess. Uh, so this is, so in, in Mark, Jesus talks about, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out the angels and gathers elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the end of the sky. What do you think Jesus is talking about the Gospels, Renee Kranz? Uh, 
end of time. So all of the above <laughs> are right. So what happens oftentimes, so Daniel is apocalyptic. This part of Mark is apocalyptic. Right. But this is, um, scholars talk about, they, they telescope things. So things that are far in the future and things that are closer okay. uh, to the pre- to the, that moment are talked about kind of t- together. So, so Daniel is talking about a time um, just before, well, a couple centuries later, a couple centuries before Jesus, when Antiochus Epiphanes IV, a Greek king, is going to desecrate the temple and is going to try to outlaw Judaism. So that's what he's talking about. But he's also talking about the resurrection of the dead at right. the end of time. Right. Jesus is talking about... Um, his crucifixion and death. He's talking about even more the fall of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, mm-hmm. but he's also talking about the end of time. So it, it gets hard when we read these to tell, okay, what exactly are we talking right. about? But as you're hearing this, was, or maybe you're thinking about, maybe you already heard it at mass. The point is though, that the Lord is working his plan. So whether these things are near to come or they're in the distant future, Trust and be confident that God is working. Ah, so difficult, but so essential. Amen. Thanks, Dr. B. You bet. In the studio with me today, I have Matt Altoff, who is the Chancellor for the Diocese of Sioux Falls. He's going to um, talk with us about pastoral planning, which may sound boring to some people, <laughs> but it is not. It is probably one of the most important things that happen in the diocese that affects everybody. So welcome, Matt. Thanks, Renee. Yeah. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Um, so you're the chancellor. You've been here a while. How many years have you been here? I'm in my 12th year as chancellor. 12th year. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, can you just describe really quick what the heck a chancellor does? <laughs> because that, that uh, name really means very little to most people, probably. Sure, it so, should. Yeah. It should. I'm yeah. a behind-the-scenes administrative support to okay. the office of the bishop. Um, the church law defines the chancellor's role as Essentially, like a notary. Anytime, oh, okay. anytime the bishop uh, decrees a particular law or policies, we usually refer to it in the diocese. It is not effective unless it bears the chancellor's notary. Oh, okay. And so, you know, many bishops and archbishops use their chancellors differently, but it's pretty right. common in a diocese of our size that a chancellor would have a, a, an awful lot to do with the governance role mm-hmm. the bishop holds. He, his, his higher duties or higher offices are the teaching office and the sanctifying office, but the governing office is really where I support sure, him. So. Sure, sure. Uh, so you have a lot of law background, I assume. I get accused of being background. an attorney frequently. Uh, <laughs> but you are and, not, and policy, is that right? But I am not, no. Probably missed <laughs> my a, vocation. That must be know, why so. I like you still, right? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to lawyers, I swear. Yeah, there's okay. many good ones out there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, let's start with the obvious. We want to talk about pastoral planning. So let's make sure we know what pastoral planning is. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, pastoral planning is, you know, the root word pastoral. Well, what are we? What is a pastor trying to do? He is trying to lead the flock mm-hmm. and invite them. That's exactly like the faith it proposes. So inviting the flock in the midst of very dramatic changes in our populations and uh, major adjustments to our demographics. So, right. you know, we're, we're a church that is in, in South Dakota, especially we are shrinking in population in a very radical way. In some parts, mm-hmm. we are radically growing in, in other, other parts. parts. Yeah. And in those areas where we are shrinking in population, we are also graying, we are getting older. Sure. So we don't find all generations equally distributed or represented in some of those communities. Mm -hmm. So pastoral planning is a way to say, how do we invite in a pastoral way to, 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 
um, if you will, reconfigure ourselves so as to try to con- to, to foster a, a vibrant faith community. Mm-hmm. A, a parish is vibrant when all the sacraments are celebrated regularly. Right. A parish is vibrant when you have all generations actively learning and then passing on the faith, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an example. So, um, you know, that, that that's, that's kind of um, idealistic language. Right. There is a reality that, you know, you do have to just simply manage, you know, your limited resources. Mm-hmm. Um, one critical sort of inspiration in addition to the the decline in population, of course, is that it takes a priest to have a parish. Mm-hmm. We are a sacramental church. And so you also have as a bishop a challenge with saying, I've only have so many priests mm-hmm. and how do I distribute those in ways that doesn't kill them? Right. Doesn't, doesn't, right. Uh, we don't keep parishes open strictly in the backs of, of right. a priest who's, you know, strung out. Yeah. That's to tough. We have a big diocese and it's a rural diocese. So that can put a lot of pressure on priests. You know, and, and, and you have a very different challenge in our rural communities. I want to be very clear. Some of our major churches in, in the church in Chicago, for example, you couldn't go two blocks without running into a Catholic church at one time. <laughs> right. Well, they were having the same radical mm, changes in, yeah. in their parish registrations. But absolutely what we have is an awful lot of land mm-hmm. and uh, sort of Jeffersonian. We're land rich and very uh, cash poor, sure. people poor. Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson infamously died that way. So, um, you know, we, we, we are very dependent in the Diocese of Sioux Falls on the automobile. Right. Um, and I don't think that's a profound statement. I just think it is a reality that um, you have strict limits and severe challenges mm-hmm. to economies when you're going to link parishes yeah. because— you know, there's a law of diminishing return if the mm-hmm. if the parish is 30 miles away versus 50 miles away. That yes. those 20 miles makes a big difference for yes. father if he's Absolutely. trying to commute. Yeah, especially in the winter. <laughs> oh, I mean, we do yeah. have winters yeah. here that are quite terrible Amen. sometimes. Um, so, what is the state of the diocese currently as far as our priests go? Like, where are we? We have we have 84 priests who are currently serving in assigned ministry. Okay. Um, you know. What to compare that to, I'm not sure, right. other than last year, you know, and, and uh, I think a, a better statistic might be to say in the last 10 years, what have we averaged for the total number of seminarians or being ordained into mm-hmm. the, the priesthood? Because, uh, you know, for the discernment process is authentic. It's between that seminarian with the help of others and God. And so we don't in any way say a seminarian equals a priest. That is not the case. So we just look back at historical data to say what's our average number of ordinations. Mm -hmm. And then we look forward when we know because priests are afforded the opportunity to retire. So we base, you know, our demographic study and looking at when are they expected to retire. And what we know today is that 84 is not subject to stay. It is actually subject to decrease. Right. So right. our, our uh, retirements will outpace our ordinations, mm-hmm. our historical ordination rates. Um, and so uh, the windshield approach that a bishop must take, it ha- he has to be prepared for that reality. Right. Is, right. Yeah, we have to actually plan for that, which is right. where pastoral planning comes from. Yeah. So you have to look at where you are, what you think is going to happen, and say, okay, well, we have to figure out how to make this work. Yep. And not— um, not close every well obviously you can't close every parish but you've got to you've got to like strategically figure out okay where do we go and that's what all that is about the priests have a lot of input into that pastoral planning right Can well you- I, I think ultimately um 
Well, we all do. Let's put it this right. way. I think baptism gives us all uh, a privileged opportunity for input. And, and I say that, and again, this is overly optimistic perhaps, but we have on our hearts as a result of the graces of promised in baptism a, a, an obligation to pass on the faith. And so if the goal of pastoral planning is to continually recreate vibrant faith communities, mm -hmm. we all have a voice in this. Mm -hmm. We all have an opportunity to contribute to our time, our talents, our treasures, to become involved, to take inspiration and, and encourage faith formation opportunities or service, works of service, corporal works of minister, of mercy sort of activities that are, are traditional and, and time-tested in mm -hmm. terms of a vibrant parish community. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's the first thing I try to emphasize when I'm involved and, in, you know, it, it's very common. We seek input from the right. laity. Uh, we have public meetings and mm -hmm. things like that. And I, I, I try to emphasize that. I think it's real that, that the parishes that are more vibrant tend to have more ushers, more lectors, more altar servers, choirs rather than cantors. The parishes that are more vibrant tend to have more opportunities for service and, and, and also then, you know, the fish fries and the stations mm -hmm. and some of the devotions that are carried out. The more of those sort of activities that we see, those are, again, signs of life right. in the parish. And usually, although there are certainly seminarians come out of very small parishes, mm -hmm. but usually those more vibrant parishes are where more, more seminarians will come out, probably on average. I think yeah. a vibrant parish, absolutely uh, a, a huge indicator would be vocations, sure. not only to ordained ministry, but also to consecrated right. life. And and why is that? I think ultimately it's, they have been, you know, why is first and foremost, because God placed it on their heart. That's the vocation they were given at birth or at, at conception. But I, I think a vibrant community also invites young persons to be exposed and to be immersed mm -hmm. in a, a more um, enmeshed Catholic culture, you know, within it. So they they see, uh, you know, consecrated life not as this distant, far off concept, but they hearken it to say, "Wow, that was I, I just really appreciated Sister Mary in, mm -hmm. in my life," or Father John was just a wonderful presence in my life because I had so many encounters with him that that helped that young person realize that's a very attractive lifestyle. They're so right. joy filled, right? Um, they they seem happy, they seem authentic. Whatever those things, those impressions that are left on a young person's heart. Um, we see in vibrant parishes, that's where you tend to find uh, a disproportionate number of vocations right, coming. Right. So, so I was going to save this question for later, but I want to really want to make sure it gets answered because I think this, I've heard this question often. Um, a lot of, a lot of us Catholics think that, okay, well, we just need more priests, but what you just articulated there is that you get more priests by having a more vibrant parish and having a more vibrant parish is up to us. Uh, and obviously, um, there's more to it than just getting more priests. Well, I, I think it's a it's a both and proposition, right. not never an either or. And and there's no denying that Father, in his role as pastor, in his um, extraordinary power that he's been entrusted with by Holy Mother Church to mm -hmm. be able to sanctify the faithful through the administration of the sacraments, he has incredible sway. And, and such, but what I try to challenge is is that if we do rely only on Father to come up with every idea, and then <laughs> only rely on Father to do every ministry activity in the parish, we have all kinds of signs across evidences across the diocese that over time that doesn't work. Right? Should he be the inspiration? Should he be involved in it? Should he 
um, know play about a role it. in it <laughs> yeah. and, and things. Absolutely. But it is up to us as the lay faithful to step up and do it. It's up to Father to, to you know, encourage and invite mm-hmm. them to do that, to permit them to do it at times, right. you right. know. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's kind of where we're going even with the uh, vision of the diocese, the lifelong Catholic missionary mm-hmm. discipleship through God's love, is that uh, we need to become missionary disciples and not just leave it to our priests. Right. So, right. yeah. Okay, so um, <clears throat> we're going to talk some maybe a little bit more specifics. Uh, although, well, let's go here first. So whenever there's a pastoral planning going on and there's each year there are priest moves in July, usually-ish, around that time. So that can be a little bit scary for people in parishes because they've had a priest there a long time or whatever, and they really love them. They may have had experiences before that weren't so great or other ones that were super great. So there's a lot of um, anxiety sometimes for people. What has been your experience with that? Uh, Or the effects All of that meant some. (laughs) So I I think I have grown over my years of observing it and uh, trying— to help priests in the transition. That's obviously where my point of contact right. is, is going to be more typically. Um, there is change is hard for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, so disruption to normative behaviors. Now, if change involves, we're no longer having Sunday mass in this yeah. church building where I have come to encounter a Lord through the regular reception of the sacraments and the weekly celebration of mass. That's super hard. Right. And, and there's a grief, absolutely a grief, you know, the, um, encounters with our Lord leave an impression that are indelible mm-hmm. on us. And and we as church need to be always be respectful of that. Now, you can encounter the Lord anywhere we go. Right. But particular buildings become very special to yeah. us, particular patterns get ingrained and, and really kind of serve as a context with which we have these con- these these encounters. So taking that away, uh, it's a lot like our own humility, our need mm-hmm. for humility. When when that is taken away, we we have to surrender that. We like to control. Mm-hmm. God is always struggling, or man is always struggling to hold dominion, as we know in Genesis too. And so um, that's a large part of it, and and that just takes time for yeah. persons. Um, but if it means you know I'm gonna the other things that'll happen in this process is that parishes will share in the scheduling of masses. Mm-hmm. When when Father has more than one parish, each of those parishes have to share Father. So Sunday Mass schedule becomes a point. Um, you know we have changes in the linkages, so then this creates a whole mm-hmm. new set of mm-hmm. conventions of we have to figure out how Father can be at the two places in an equitable, just way of time. Mm-hmm. So those things all lead to changes. So what right. what is the one constant in that is change. I would want to represent um, there is there is truth in the adjustment to a new priest, a new pastor, a new pattern is hard for the laity. Mm-hmm. The adjustment to new surroundings for Father is yeah. is a is a challenge too. He makes friends. Yep. He makes um, he too finds sojourners. Mm-hmm. You know that that are uh, like minded and have helped encourage him and inspired him to persevere in the faith. And when he's asked by the the swipe of a pen, notarized by the chancellor, (laughs) uh, the bishop says, I want you to go somewhere else. He has to sever those relationships, at least in in a more convenient way. Now distance is introduced to those relationships. And he has to go make new friends. And that's hard as we know ourselves to become more and more creatures of habit. Um, just it, with age, I find many of the pastors have expressed to me that every subsequent transition is harder in that regard. Really? Oh. 
uh, and stuff. So that's the human toll that yeah. takes on priests. Um, but you know, that's it, it is. It is just my my conclusion is that change is the constant, mm-hmm. and and so we just do all we can to encourage people to be joy filled. Trust God is with us. Yeah. In those and and to keep our prize on Him, not His church. Yeah. The church sure. is a vessel for sure. So on that that kind of thought process, um, it's kind of like for priests, it's like moving to a new town every totally. five or 10 years. And I don't like moving to a new town. Um, so what should... It might happen a little more often with um, Bishop DeGrood. The, so. <laughs> oh there, there were boy. 41 moves last year. <laughs> That's so, true. Yeah. Um, so what can parishioners do in the midst of major changes like that in their parish? What are some things you recommend, especially, for instance... Um, there is uh, there are some changes going on for several parishes in our diocese uh, currently that are from the 2014 pastoral planning. So how can parishioners uh, enter into that, and what are the things they should be doing to make things as good as possible? At every moment that a change is imposed upon me, I think we have a decision as humans to make. Mm-hmm. We, we we can decide to to get upset. You you move my cheese. Yeah. Or we can ask ourselves in humility, where's God in all this? Mm-hmm. And then clamor to God, walk with me. I'm, I'm despairing. I don't like this change. I, Help me, Lord, to understand why this change that is being asked of me, this additional sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And for many, that is the case. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the reality is that pastoral planning said plainly meant the consolidation of our, our parish infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And so many people were displaced and invited to drive even further mm-hmm. to go there to the regular church, the regular mass, uh, the regular place of worship. And so uh, I, I think that's the most important thing we do is, is to, to find trust mm-hmm. and to be surrendered, to be free, to detach ourselves from existing relationships, existing relationships, not only to people, but relationships to conventions. Right. You know, I... I love that eight o'clock mass. It just works so well for us. And if it's taken away from us, you know, offer that up to God. God, I, I'm struggling with this. Right. It works so well with our family. And now I'm being asked. And of all people to make that change, it's your church. Um, those are real sentiments. And yeah. I think they're really important prayers to offer up. I think the 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 best next thing then is to develop relationship where we're being invited to go. Right. So Get involved early and often, and don't make it. It's well, it's their soup kitchen. It's our soup mm-hmm. kitchen. It's we not kitchen, but you know our, our potluck. We right. want to see this is our new home. We want to create new friends when you know we're there. We want to be welcoming to people who mm-hmm. have been displaced and are coming to us. So, you know, it's just exercising our baptismal calling yeah. to, to love one another, uh, make new friends, yep. that kind of stuff. And sometimes that can be difficult because there's this almost like a competitive nature to it as you're going through the process, and now you've got to join together. So it's not easy for us as humans to set aside our pride and our wishes. Like you said, you know, this is how I wanted it to be, but now you have to let go of that. So, yeah, I think for us to be welcoming, to get involved, and to really try to come together as a new family, a new parish it's and critical. I think what you speak to is real. I mean, I would never name names, right? right? But <laughs> but there is a reality of small town culture. A huge mm-hmm. part of it is an identity, and a huge yeah. part of that identity is is high school sports. Absolutely. So 
rivals in high school sports and therefore ingrained in that culture have been asked to all of a sudden become friends through parish mergers. Yep. <laughs> That's hard. It is. It That's doesn't hard. seem like it should be. That seems like a well, silly thing, but it is a reality. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I think you want to look at the upside of it is, is this is pride in the community and it's a, in part of the culture, but it always has to be balanced and reasoned. Yeah. You know, that we, we, we can't put too much identity in wins and losses right. because they're sports teams. <laughs> right. Um, but, but that, that's, that's, again, I think just saying those things and talking that out loud yeah. and such, but I would hope that we would see transcendence to lifelong Catholic missionary discipleship through God's love or simply eternity. Right. Right. Eternity. Time is fleeting. Mm -hmm. We have limited time here. It fleets. And, and what we as Catholics are called to is eternal life with God. If we so choose, mm -hmm. it's a proposition. And so my hope is that bygones and, and sort of temporal matters and affairs could be looked beyond. Um, yeah. And, and that we could all focus on what's the real important yeah. thing here. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm a jock. I, I'm an athlete. <laughs> I, I have my favorite sports team. So I, I'm guilty of yeah. also having some of those rivalrous things yeah. that intrude in my ability to have a free relationship with God. Yeah. So. Yeah. We have to remember why we're here. Yeah. It's not, it's not actually for sports. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, so we have maybe about a minute left. Um, this can be very difficult for priests too, who are going through this, this change. I mean, not, not just the movement, but when you're, when you're changing linkages of churches and, and merging churches, I think we just have to really remember that this is hard for father too. Well, first of all, they have, you know, changes in routines. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, it means that they have greater distances to drive. Mm -hmm. And that's always a hardship if you have responsibilities in another town mm -hmm. or in multiple towns at the same time, right? right? How do I, I have to think about all these places and, I'm, and every time something comes up, I'm in the wrong town. Right. But but I think I I really want to emphasize as I've walked with uh, the the dear dear priests of our diocese I, I'm so privileged to have relationships with each and every one of them and and I think ultimately spiritual fatherhood is real mm -hmm. and the greatest hardship I see and hear uh, confided in me from from the priests is the hardship it is as a spiritual father to see their spiritual children struggling right I, I mean it, it's very innate as a father myself of of, of children. Um, I, I think it, that is really compelling to me. It mm -hmm. speaks to the authenticity of their of their ministry as priests, of their uh, the trueness of their vocation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. And I think if we can all just remember, everyone's struggling in those yeah. positions, and yeah. to be um, just really open to each other. So. I do want to emphasize. I, 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 I. That's not. Um, that's well recognized. Yeah. I am so Good. moved Good. in these meetings that I've been asked to lead or facilitate. That comes out in every one of them. Oh, the love so for good. our priests is really compelling in our diocese. And I, I would never take that for granted. I'm so grateful. Um, and, and particularly in the midst of hardships, that mm -hmm. that's one of the first places they go. And that's just so down and dirty South Dakota, you know, <laughs> that they just recognize the the guy who's toiling, the priest right. who's toiling, and he's caring for me. Right. So it right. comes out every time. That's so good to hear. Yeah. Well, Matt, our time is up. I have to thanks leave Renee. some for Bergwald. So thanks for being here and talking to us about this really important topic. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. God bless you. Yep, thanks. All right. Uh, if you haven't found us on social media yet, you can find us at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and um, YouTube. I almost forgot where we were. Uh, you can find us there anytime at SF Diocese, or you can find us at our website at sfcatholic.org. That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views.